finish up what we started, well, kind of two weeks ago, and kind of last week is when we really got going on it. And we're going to look at the first couple of verses, and we'll review just a little bit. We won't spend much time on that. But we talked about the heart is the place to start. God is after your heart. God wants to change your heart. And uh, that's the hardest thing in the world to change. You can change your actions and you can change your appearance. But changing who you really are is uh, very, very, very difficult. And that's one of the things that I think about with the uh, transgender thing. You can have all the surgeries and you can change all of the parts and you can take the hormones and all of that. But it doesn't change who you really are. And anybody who would check your blood and check your DNA, they would go back to what you were biologically because that's how you were made. And so we have a problem when we think about our humanity. We're born with a wicked heart. We're born with a depraved heart. And unlike simply the transgender type thing that changes mainly the outward appearance, God changes us from the inside. And you'll remember that he told the Old Testament prophet that I'll take out the heart of stone and I'll put in the heart of flesh. Now that always used to trip me up because I'm used to reading in the New Testament, flesh is bad. But all he was saying was, I'll take something that is dead and rock hard and I'll put something living and warm, something that actually uh, will work. And so we get a new heart. And how does God change us? He changes us from the inside out. And he still continues to do that even after we are saved. And so you need to change. I need to change. We're being sanctified. And it's got to come from the inside out. There's a real danger whenever we get to where we are, uh, for lack of a better word, content with just acting like a Christian when God has called us to be a Christian. And if you are being a Christian, your actions will be right. But if you are just acting like a Christian, then who you are inside uh, may be completely different. And that's why there are so many times when we hear about somebody maybe that we went to church with, maybe somebody that we knew and they claimed to be a Christian, they acted right, and then all of a sudden their life falls apart. And we go, what in the world happened? They were such a strong Christian. Well, I don't know and I wouldn't presume, but... I would say as a general rule, things like that happen. I know there are exceptions, but as a general rule, what happens is the heart gets cold. The heart gets indifferent. And the actions may remain the same, but the heart is not really in it. I was um, conducting a nursing home service one time, and <coughs> I was going around meeting the, the people that were there. And uh, there was a man there that when I introduced myself, he said his name. And I said, oh, I, I know you. I've never met you before, but I've heard about you. And he goes, you have? And I said, yeah, you do leather work and that type of thing. And you were a deacon at our church. I was. What church do you go to? And I told him, First Baptist Church. And he said, I used to go to that church. And uh, it was kind of obvious he didn't really know where he was or what day it was or anything like that. But we were having a good conversation and all of a sudden 
that old man grabbed my arm, pulled me close to him, and he said, Oh, preacher, preacher, pray for me. My heart has grown so cold and indifferent to the Lord. I haven't told anybody about Jesus, and I haven't been praying like I should. Oh, preacher, pray for me. What did I do? I prayed for him. And I remember walking away from that thinking that this man who had lost so much of his mental faculties still had a heart for God, still knew what he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do as a Christian. Because when you are being the right thing, your actions follow. If you focus on the action, sometimes the being kind of gets left behind. That's an awkward way to say that, but I hope it makes sense. It's got to come from the inside out. So the psalmist gives us this clue and it reminds us of Luke 6:45 that Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and when we get into Psalm 9 he says I will praise you that's an action I will praise you O Lord that's the outward but then he says the inward with my whole heart his heart was involved in it his heart was engaged he was thinking about it I will tell of all of your marvelous works, that's a good thing to do. But notice that's coming out of the heart, out of a full heart. And he says in verse 2, I will be glad and I will rejoice in you. That's kind of the inward thing. He was feeling it. Okay? And I will sing praise to your name almost high. That's the outward part. And so you see this correlation of the inward. The inward gets so full that it has to be expressed. The inward is so affected by the presence and the power and the grace and the love of God that it affects what happens on the outside. And we said point number one is when the heart is right, praise will be natural. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to work it up. It's just going to be a part of who you are. I will praise you, O God, with my whole heart. The key is getting the heart right. We said that we are forgiven, we're accepted by God, we're adopted into His family, and of course we are resurrected. We've been given new life. Now who couldn't be happy about that? Who couldn't put their whole heart in that? What God has done for us is much better than anything that the lottery could do for us or a job promotion or anything like that. This is something that only God can do and He's done that for us. And we looked at some scriptures, I won't read them, but we looked at Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 and we looked at Acts 13, 38 and um, Acts chapter 10 verse 43 and Hebrews 8, 10 through 12. And all of these things were reminding us about how the Lord works and uh, how the heart has to be involved in it. If the heart's not involved in it, then it's just a legalistic, pharisaical, dead type of uh, action, but when the heart gets involved, everything, everything changes. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are, get, are good, ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. And uh, this is the relationship that we have with our Lord. It's not just a matter of He's commanded us to pull guard duty and now we have to do it whether we like it or not. He's also given us the desire to do that and the joy that goes along with that if we would just be submissive and be obedient to Him. So when the heart is right, 
then praise is a, is a natural thing because we begin to see what he has done for us and we can't help but give him praise. Then we said number two, <clears throat> when praise is genuine, I mean, you know, we can fake it, but we don't want to fake it. Nobody wants to be a fake. But uh, when praise is genuine, then talking about the Lord is normal because we just do that. Whenever you are excited about something, it's hard to get you to shut up about it. You find a way to talk about it. You want to talk about it. And you're not embarrassed to talk about it. And so the key to being the kind of witness that God wants us to be and that he has commanded us to be in the Great Commission is not so much a matter of learning. That doesn't hurt anything. I'm not against that. It's not so much a matter of memorizing a program. I'm not against that. That can be very, very helpful. But you can memorize all of the evangelism programs and be trained from, you know, uh, till, till the cows come home. But if your heart's not in it, you're probably still not going to do it. And it's uh, kind of like you've seen these people that weigh 600 pounds and now they weigh 120. But you've also seen some people that weigh maybe much less than 600 pounds and they talk about it all the time, but they never lose the weight. What's the difference? The heart's got to be in it. And you've got to be enthusiastic about it. You've got to go after it with optimism and uh, with joy. And so that's what I see when I look at these, at these two verses. And uh, they kind of uh, give me the idea that we ought to be praising the Lord more. And as we praise the Lord, we ought to be talking, witnessing more. And as we witness more, the joy just intensifies. And as the joy intensifies, then our worship is just exuberant. And that's kind of what I see when I look at those verses and what is going on in uh, David's life. And so he says, I will tell of all of your marvelous works. And you kind of get the idea that he has the can't help it's that uh, it's just what comes out of his life. He's so close to the Lord at this particular time. And um, let's scoot on over and go to point number three. And this is kind of where we'll pick up tonight. When talking about the Lord, joy and gladness overflow. Um, I'm going to make two statements here and say that I have never seen a person get saved and be sad. Whenever someone confesses Christ as Lord, they always, they're always happy. They have tears, but they're tears of joy, don't they, if they have those. And they usually have a big smile on their face and they tell you about how they feel and they're so excited about it. I've never seen it happen any other way. And the other thing that uh, comes to my mind as I think about this, I've never seen a consistent witness for Christ that didn't overflow with the joy of the Lord. I heard a preacher say one time, if joy is lacking in your Christian life, which it does from time to time, how do you get it back? How do you get it back? And his recommendation was, go tell somebody about Jesus. And I think about times when I uh, have handed out a tract, don't do it nearly often enough, but I never feel depressed about that. I always feel good about it. I always feel kind of happy, kind of want to see whether they read it or not and what they do with all of that. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll find that out. There are those times when you have an opportunity where, um, man, used to being a tall guy when we would play volleyball when I was a kid, 
they would always want me up on the, on the front row, up by the net. And you'd always have that one person that was real good at setting you up so you could spike it. And uh, some people weren't very good at setting you up. And some people were really good at it. You always wanted that person that was good at it. They could put the ball in the right place and you'd jump up and just slam it down on the head of the person who's on the other team. And this is called fun. And... <coughs> Not so much when it happens to you, but when you can do it, man, it's great. and Everybody cheers, and it's wonderful. There are those times when in the course of your life, have you ever felt like the Holy Spirit was setting you up so you could spike the ball? Uh, there are those times when, you know, it's always kind of hard for me anyway just to walk up to somebody cold turkey and just say, Hey, dude, I want to tell you about Jesus. You're a sinner on your way to hell, and Jesus can take you to heaven. Uh, that's hard hard but there are those times when it just kind of gets set up something they're going through something that they say something that comes up in a conversation and you have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus you ever get depressed about that I don't and I don't know anybody else who does either there's something about being a witness for Christ that brings joy in your heart and I think it's because you know instinctively you're fulfilling your destiny for being here on earth. You are here on earth to glorify God and to testify about Him. That's the Great Commission. And maybe a lot of believers are down in the mouth because so few are actually carrying out the Great Commission of the Lord. And when you read through the book of Acts, it seems like that those people, even when they're persecuted, even when they're put in prison, even when they're rejected, they always seem to have this component of joy in their life. Where does that joy come from? Well, it comes from the Lord. Well, why does God give them joy that maybe <clears throat> I don't have? And maybe it's because I'm not putting myself out there as a witness like Paul and Silas were. And so here they are getting beat in Philippi and imprisoned. And it was an unjust imprisonment because they were Roman citizens. And what do you find them doing? Protesting, starting a riot, burning the place down. No, it's midnight, and there they are, sore as they can be, chained up in the inner part of the prison. And, uh, you know, if you listen carefully, you start hearing them sing songs like Victory in Jesus, Amazing Grace. I know it wasn't actually those, but you get the idea. And they begin singing those songs, and then the Lord does an earthquake, and the Philippian jailer and his household get saved out of all of that. Maybe some others too. Maybe we'll get to heaven and meet some of those prisoners. But we know for sure what happened there. What was going on in that situation? When they had a right, humanly speaking, they had every right to be angry. They had every right just to cuss everybody out. They had every right to be bitter. They had every right to be bitter even toward God. And yet they weren't. Yet they weren't. They'd been testifying of Christ and the joy was still there even when they weren't treated right. And it came out of them and what happened, people began to get saved. And I find that that's the pattern because the fruit of the Spirit, if you were to look in Galatians 5.22, is love. We get that. We talk a lot about love as Christians. But the second thing that's mentioned in there is joy. Where is the joy of salvation where is the joy of the lord well maybe it's because we don't talk enough about jesus witnesses are happy witnesses 
have joy and gladness that overflow out of their life even when they're mistreated. Verse 2 in Psalm 9 says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. Well, what did the end of verse 1 say? said that I'm going to talk about the Lord and then I'm going to be glad and rejoice in you because it always seems to happen that way. We begin to praise the Lord whether we feel like it or not. That results in us telling other people about the Lord. That brings tremendous joy into our life that overflows out of our life. It doesn't have to be manufactured. It doesn't have to be worked up. It doesn't have to be faked. It's real. It's genuine. And people can see that and that is what gives us so much credibility and power in everything that we do there's something about a person that has joy or we might even say enthusiasm which is uh, a word that actually literally means in Greek God within and uh, what, what do you do if somebody comes up to you and they say, I want to sell you something. Oh, what do you want to sell me? Uh, I got some stuff here. And, uh, oh, does it work? I don't know. I don't really use it myself, but you might like it. I need the money, just, you know, whatever. You don't get real excited about all of that. But when you have somebody that is joy-filled and enthusiastic about what they're selling, it makes a difference. Every salesman is trained to be enthusiastic, even if they have to fake it, right? Now, we don't want to be the fakes, and we're not salesmen for the Lord. But doesn't it stand to reason that human beings are wired to be attracted to people with joy? And if we don't have any joy, maybe they don't want to listen to us. If we don't have any joy, all we have is negativity, complaints, life has been horrible, everything's going wrong for us, and the country's going wrong, and life's going wrong, and the family's going wrong, and my finances are going wrong. Yeah, uh, sign me up. Sign me up. I, I want to hear you, and I want to hear what you've got. And so many Christians are just kind of like that, and we call it warfare and tribulation and that kind of thing well I, I i would encourage you to go back to the book of acts and watch those people who are going through more warfare than we've ever experienced more persecution than we've ever experienced but they also had a whole lot more joy and the world didn't know what to do with it it gave them credibility the joy of the lord the bible says is the fruit of the spirit how do i get the fruit of the spirit i don't get the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the Spirit is what happens to me when the Spirit is in control of my life. If you were to go out and look at an apple tree, and you are wondering, I wonder what kind of tree this really is. And you look at it in December, well, unless you're really good, some people can do this, but most of us, we look at I don't really know what kind of tree it is. Looks like a dead tree right now to me. But let spring come. And some trees you can tell by the blossoms that come out. Oh, that's such and such kind of tree. Or some other trees, it's by the leaves that they produce. And then others, you know, you may be the kind of person that you have to wait till harvest to see what kind of fruit is hanging on it. And you know, the Bible tells us that you don't, you don't get pears from an apple tree. And you don't get grapes from thistles and, you know, those kind of things. What is it? We bear the fruit... That is the evidence of what's inside us. Okay, let's, let's put it like this. Here's an apple tree. 
and it's growing, and we know that it is going to bear what? Apple leaves, apple blossoms, and hopefully some apples that we can eat. Why does the tree bear that? Well, he did an internet search, and he Googled what kind of fruit is most popular, and he wanted to be the most popular kind of tree, so he decided to become an apple tree. Obviously, that's just stupid. It was his inner nature, the inner nature of the tree. So someone put it like this. <clears throat> fruit is outward evidence of the inward nature. Okay? Fruit is outward evidence of an inward nature. Plug that into the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit that you bear in your Christian life is outward evidence of your inward nature. And when God saved you, He gave you a new nature. He made you spiritually alive, gave you a new spirit, and He put His spirit inside of you. And the fruit, the evidence of what God has done in your life is the love, joy, and the peace. All nine of those things, they're not... Uh, nine different fruits it's a singular fruit with those nine characteristics and uh, so this happens and the joy of the Lord is going to be in our life when we have that kind of um, experience with the Lord so let me ask you where's your joy where's your joy it's the fruit of the spirit it's not something you work up it's not feeling it's not circumstances it's not the charisma of a speaker it's not the great music that somebody might have it's the work of the Holy Spirit and joy is what uh, makes us effective your witness is going to be uh, ever more powerful ever more powerful if you are doing it with the joy of the Lord Nehemiah in his book it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength you got to stand up against the enemy you got to stand up against pressure you got to stand up against the trials of life how do you do that you do that with the joy of the Lord that is the fruit of the Spirit joy makes us strong and joy makes us effective we're believable we're credible when we have the joy of the Lord Jesus has changed my life and I'm excited about it Jesus has liberated me and I'm ecstatic about it Jesus has taught me the principles of life and it's made a difference in every part of my life and I am so excited because I could never make it on my own and uh, you know I get to thinking about all of that and I kind of want to get saved all over again I mean this this is where we started this is where it happened the joy bells began to ring in our heart joy makes us generous when we have the joy of about anything we want to share it with somebody else and especially when we have the joy of the Lord we want other people to have it we want that crabby neighbor to have it we want that lost church member to have it we want our kids to have it we want I mean we want everybody to have it we want it to spread around the world we want people that are in our government uh, to have it can you imagine what would happen if uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris got saved and they had the joy of the Lord instead of all of the doom and gloom that they put out I mean man that would be amazing what if the uh, favorite newscaster you had had uh, the joy of the Lord and there he is talking about all the horrible things in the world but he's doing it with a joy and enthusiasm that you are attracted to and uh, he's able to talk about 
how Jesus lives in his life and lives through his life. It just is amazing how that happens. You want to share it. It'll, it'll affect the way that you give. The Bible says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. There was one time I was preaching and I got enthusiastic and I said a, a gearful cheerful. And uh, that's funny, but it doesn't work. But a cheerful giver. You know what that is an expression of? The joy of the Lord. We just are so overjoyed that we get to participate in what God is doing. You don't have to take those kind of people and push them or wind them up or anything like that. They just overflow with generosity. And so uh, joy, according to verse 2, points us back to the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice, not in things, not in stuff, not in circumstances, but in you. And there's always... Always, always reason to rejoice in the Lord. If you wouldn't mind, um, take your Bibles and turn back to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 7. Okay, And there's a story here that is a great, great illustration of us and an illustration um, for this particular message. 2 Kings chapter 7. Verses 3 through 9. Now the Syrian army has surrounded the city. And back in those days, they would come to a city that had high walls. And uh, maybe they couldn't climb them. Maybe every time they tried to climb them, they would get shot down. And so they go, eh, we don't want to do that. They couldn't knock them down. And uh, the footings were too big. They couldn't dig underneath them. And so uh, they said, well, we're just going to have to be patient and wait them out. And they would ring the city, especially guarding the gates, where nobody could come in and nobody could go out. Why were they wanting to do that? Because they wanted to starve the people inside to death. Because when the people got hungry enough and thirsty enough, they would open the gates and they would come out and they would surrender. Even the king would surrender. They didn't want to die doing that. Well, that's what's happening here. The Syrian army has shut everything off, and it is a desperate situation. Well, the prophet of God is prophesying, and he said, by this time tomorrow, I mean, when food is scarce, what happens to the prices? Goes way up. And the man of God is telling people that uh, here's the sign that God is working and God is doing this. Tomorrow, flour is going to be cheap. And everybody laughed. The king was just like, you got to be kidding. You know, you can imagine what the media did. You can imagine what it said on Facebook and on Twitter and things like that. And uh, so that's when our story picks up. God is going to do something, and he does it in an unusual way through some unusual people. And so it says in uh, 2 Kings 7, verse 3, Now there were four men who were lepers. Uh, you know enough Bible to know lepers. Nobody wanted the lepers. Even if they wore a mask, nobody wanted the lepers around. Okay? Lepr- leprosy was contagious. They didn't know how to contain it. They didn't know how to cure it, except to say, keep away, keep away. So while all of the people are inside of the city starving to death, the lepers are out here at the gate. They're kind of in the no man's land. Here's the camp of the Assyrians. Here are the lepers. Okay? Nobody wants them. And so these uh, lepers are talking, and uh, they are at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, because nobody else would talk to them, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, 
The famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. That's a predicament. That's called a predicament, isn't it? So now, come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. Don't you imagine whoever said that got a look? you got to be kidding. Go to the Syrians. And so this person speaking says, If they spare our lives, we shall live. Captain Obvious there. And if they kill us, we shall but die. That, that's the fate anyway. We might as well try something. You can't just sit here, is what they're saying. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. I've always wondered why they went at twilight. Maybe that was the most convenient time. Maybe they didn't think they'd last till morning. I don't know. But they uh, went at twilight to the camp of the Syrians. Now look, this, look at this. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel is hired against us, the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. And so they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent. Don't you imagine they were just a little bit afraid? Is this an ambush? Is this a setup? What's going on? And what did they do? They ate and they drank. That's what you do when you're starving to death like they were. And they carried off silver and gold, which is a sign that they were rejuvenated or they wouldn't have been able to pick it up. Gold and clothing, and they went and hid them. And uh, that also meant they had some optimism. They thought they were going to live. And uh, they were going to come back and get that later. Well, then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Okay, now their conscience is starting to bother them. Their conscience. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. We're not doing right. We're going to reap what we sow, in other words. Now, therefore, come. Let us go and tell the king's household. Well, these are lepers. You can imagine how welcome they were. Not. You can imagine how believable they were. I mean, if, if, if you're in the city... And you're in there hiding and you've got all the gates shut. You've battened down the hatches. And you've been in there, you know, waiting, hopefully, that something would happen. And uh, you're starving to death. And you know the Assyrians are out there. Your guards have told them they're out there. And now a leper, leper shows up and wants to come inside. And he's got news for the king. How excited would you be if you were the king? These guys are nuts. What are they doing? They're going to give us leprosy. What? You know, and, and they're not going to be all that enthusiastic about hearing it. But from the leper's perspective, what did they say? This is not right for us to keep silent. This is not right. And we're going to be punished for this. We're not going to reap good things for all of this. 
We need to go. This is a day of good news, and we need to go now, not tomorrow, not in the morning, now. And we need to go tell the king's household about all of this. Whether they want to hear it or not, we need to tell them this is a day of good news. You see, when they found something that brought joy into their life, they had to share it. Their conscience would not let them keep it to themselves. That's where we need to be as Christians. We've got good news. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. And we need to share it with them. Now what they do with it, that's between them and God. <clears throat> and that's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's our job to share and our job to tell. So let's go back and think about it. Maybe the reason we're not the witnesses we ought to be is because all we see is the negative and we're really not praising and thanking the Lord like we should. It's back at verse 1. And maybe an indication that our praise is not where it ought to be is because we're not overflowing with things about the Lord to tell other people. And maybe the reason we don't have joy is because we're not witnessing and we're not praising the Lord and therefore we forfeit the joy. And maybe even, this is point number four, corporate worship, corporate worship doesn't take on new meaning because we don't have the other three things. These all kind of go together. And number four is when joy comes, exuberant corporate worship just happens. It just happens. And it may be when you're driving down the road and you have... Uh, got on a gospel song and all of a sudden the joy bells just start ringing in your heart and you just have a worship service by yourself in the car. Ever done that? It may be when you're with other people and you uh, intended to just go fishing. But in between those uh, strikes of the crappie, uh, you start talking and all of a sudden fishing becomes secondary because Jesus becomes primary. I've known people that have gone out ostensibly to play golf but they get to fellowshipping about the Lord and they have a prayer meeting on the on the golf course and all of a sudden nothing matters anymore uh, except Jesus and they have a worship service and can you imagine what it would be like if we came in on a Wednesday night and everybody in this small crowd came together but they were overflowing with the joy of the Lord there's enough power in here to change the world and uh, we come sometimes like okay come on in and do something and entertain us and get it over with and then we can get home uh, what what no wonder we're not as effective as we really ought to be because when joy comes there's exuberant corporate worship that happens I will sing praise to your name O most high can't help it it's got to come out What's in you has to come out. You're going to burst if it doesn't happen. And so the joy is going to have to be expressed. And the joy, of course, is directed unto the Lord. And it's shared and it's multiplied. When David was getting right with God after Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I can, I can see that. Yeah, he's been miserable. Read Psalm 32. He's been miserable. But he says something else. That speaks to us. It speaks to our church. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Well David why weren't you doing that before? Because nobody listens to a backslidden king. Nobody listens to a king under chastisement. 
Nobody listens and is all that impressed with an adulterer and a murderer that is ever under the heavy hand of God. David lost his song. David lost his worship. But when he gets right with God, the praise returns. Then he wants to talk to other people because he has something to tell them. And he wants the joy of the Lord. He craves it. He even asks for it. And as a result of that, worshipers are going to come out. People are going to be converted. People are going to get right with God. Because David finally, once again, has something to tell his lost friends, his lost neighbors, and backslidden Israelis. And he's confident in all of that. But it all comes about with the joy of the Lord. Romans 14, verse 7 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and, here it is, joy in the Holy Spirit. And even Ephesians 5, verse 18, you know that. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then what does a Spirit-filled believer do? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Which brings us back to point number one. What's in the heart is going to come out, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I'll conclude. Have you ever been forgiven by Christ? Have you ever been forgiven by Christ? Is your praise of God leading you to talk to other people about him? Or is it just a cliche that you say in church or at the right time or when something cool happens? Or is it really in your heart that you carry it outside of these walls? Number three, do you lack joy? Then start praising the Lord and start talking to others about him. And this Sunday... Number four, bring a joy-filled heart to church and see what happens. What if in your Sunday school class, joy was exploding out of there? You think it might be contagious? What if in the choir and the orchestra, joy just was exploding out of those instruments and out of the people that were up there? What about people listening to the word of God and hearing the gospel? What if they felt joy just exuding from all of the people here instead of... <sighs> Make a difference? We're our own worst enemy, folks. We shoot ourselves in the foot and then complain because God's not doing more. So to quote R.C. Sproul, What's wrong with you people? a good question isn't it so we have praise start praising the Lord whether you feel like it or not and put your heart in it start talking about Jesus everywhere you go even at church I'm amazed we get through and we have a wonderful service and then when I hear people talking it's everything but Jesus we ought to talk about Jesus even to one another thirdly we need to have the joy of the Lord motivating everything that we do and making us enthusiastic as a byproduct of the Spirit of God within us. And then fourthly, we need to make sure that every time we come together, nobody has to force us to sing. Nobody has to coax an amen out of us. Nobody has to entertain us to keep our attention. 
Why? Because we're already so full of the joy of the Lord, we're just about to bust. And everybody around us, everybody around us sees that the joy is not worked up. It is genuine because it is the joy of the Lord. It is our strength. It is our song. It is part of the kingdom of God. And it is our motivation for everything that we do. Man, that sounds good to me. That sounds really, really good to me. A whole lot better than what the norm is. Well, let's quit being normal. We're supposed to be supernatural instead of just natural. And uh, God wants to give you his joy. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's ask him for it? Heavenly Father, as we think about these things and these verses that we've looked at tonight, there's one thing that I pray that is true in our lives for me and for everyone else. I want some of that. I want joy. I want to be enthusiastic. And I want the joy to be in the right place unto the Lord and of the Lord coming through my life. Tired of going through the motions. Tired of saying the right thing at the right place but not really being motivated by the joy that is inside. And I don't think I'm the only one. And we're asking you, Lord, through the presence of the Holy Spirit to do something in our lives. Let us be people of praise. Let us be people that witness. Let us be people that experience joy as we witness. And let us be people that when we gather, it's just an eruption like a volcano of the joy of the Lord and the things of God. Please do that, Lord, and do it for your glory. Do it for our good. And do it to make us effective witnesses for Christ in everything that we do. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And those who agree, would you agree by saying amen? Amen. amen. Okay.